um, when I was younger, about nine, um, I was sexually assaulted by a female um, who was only a couple of years older than me. Um, at the time, you, as a nine-year-old, you don't quite understand it. You don't, you know, you go back to the, the feeling at the moment and you know it's probably not right. Um, but you, you've been told that you're just playing a game under the bed um, and, and you don't know any different. Like at, at that stage, I don't know if it was because I had a beautiful sheltered childhood or but I didn't understand it. I didn't know what that was. Um, and it wasn't until I grew up and I started applying the meanings to what actually happened. Um, and so that was probably, I, I refer to that as like my first, I guess, moment of impact. What is up, everyone? I am Lachlan Samuel, and this is the Open Up Podcast, the show where real people open up and share real stories of struggle. up guys before we dive headfirst into Beth Banasek's episode which I know you'll love because it resonated to my core I want to let you guys know the big news and that is that Open Up and myself have been accepted into Aubrey Marcus's Fit for Service Mastermind and Mentorship Program so that is starting on January 1st it is a year-long mentorship where he takes people with missions where they have visions of global impact and he helps them build out the business he helps them knuckle down on their mission and he helps them become the best versions of themselves in terms of business physical mental spiritual all of that jazz as well as helping you expand your network so him owning on it supplements in partnership with joe rogan who is the biggest podcaster on the planet as well as being a New York Times best-selling author, and as well as himself being one of the biggest podcasters on the planet. I'm pretty sure that this network is going to expand in leaps and bounds next year as we work through that year-long mentorship program. Now, that being said, there is a big fee, well, for me it's big anyway, and that is it's going to cost 14000 Australian dollars to actually become a part of it. Now, it seems like a hefty amount, but I think Aubrey charges about five to $10,000 US dollars per one hour consultation or coaching session with him. So it isn't that big in the scheme of things, but the reason that I'm being so forward, that I'm sharing this with you, the listeners, the people that I care about most, is because I have no goddamn idea how to go about raising that before the end of December so if I don't raise it before then then I lose my place but I'm letting down my guard and I'm reaching out to you guys the listeners for ideas on how to go about this because like I said I have no idea how to do it so if you feel like you have an idea that's better or if you feel like you have someone who can help me out I would very much like you to get in contact with me using the email or the Facebook that I'll put in the show notes and please feel free to send me through any ideas, any people that you think you, 
that you think could help because this is going to go a long way to helping open up, achieve its mission of really making speaking about the stress on the mind as acceptable as speaking about the stress on the body. It's hugely important to me, and I'm sorry I have to put this out to you, the listeners, but I want to make it clear, I am not asking any of you for money at all. I just want help in terms of ideation, coming up with an idea um, on how to actually go about this. Love you all. Thank you again for taking the time to actually be here and listen to these stories from these courageous people. It really does mean the world. Without further ado, let's jump into Beth Banasik's episode. Yo! Good to go? Yep. (laughs) (laughs) Just watching on the screen. Wow. Okay. (laughs) Welcome back, everyone, to the Open Up podcast and episode 31 with Beth Banasik. It's a pleasure to have you here. Oh, thank you for having me. (laughs) Yeah, you responded quick and we got, got around to actually doing this really quickly, so I'm super stoked <laughs> that's good that I, yeah that i got to have you on and especially for next week which i think is mental health week in mm. wa mm. all right i believe it is <laughs> that's worked out well yeah. <laughs> and i think um what i like about your story and why i'm excited to have you on is because you have two stories with two lessons that mm-hmm. will resonate with most people mm-hmm. yeah it's one is a pretty heavy topic, but the lesson is something that applies to most people's lives yeah. in terms of looking back and figuring out who you are and how you can work towards your higher self or the yeah. better version of yourself. Yeah, perfect. Um, I guess we'll jump right in. Mm-hmm. With childhood, one of your, or your first story that you are going to share mm-hmm. um, starts in childhood. Can you walk us through that story? Yeah. Uh, so basically, I... I had a pretty um, great childhood. Um, I'm the eldest of uh, four girls. Lived in country WA, you know. Whereabouts? In it was Cambelda, so in the goldfields. Oh well. Wow. Yeah. So, um, it, and it it was great. You know, you could um, play on the street, and you weren't going to get run over by a car. Um, my parents are still together. Um, but yeah, a very happy childhood, and um. Then, I I guess the first sort of memory I have was about five years old um, when my I had a lazy eye. Um, So I still have a lazy eye. It's something that doesn't go away. Um, And and how did that come about? Were you born with it or? Yeah. So it's it's not something that's like a a trauma. You don't get hit in the head and have it. It's just that you're born with it. Okay. and then they, lots of people, it automatically corrects, um, but mine didn't. Um, and then as you, obviously, like as you start going to school and having to read and that sort of thing, it becomes more evident. You're using your eyes um, to do, I guess, important things. Um, and yeah, I so I started seeing doctors and uh, I don't know what they're called, ophthalmologists or something like that. Um, Optometrists? Yeah, I probably saw a couple of those. (laughs) I don't know. I I can't even remember who. um, If you really want to know, guys, Google it. Yeah. (laughs) The people that sort out your eyes. Um, But um, I had to wear an eye patch. So that was the first, um, 
I guess, therapy or sort of retraining. They try and retrain your brain um, because apart from the the physical, your eye, one of your eyes sort of floating off, which is normally what it looks like. Yeah. Um, it's actually that your brain doesn't register the image from that eye that's floating off. So um, that's kind of why they call it lazy um, is that you, your brain isn't, isn't registering it. And um, so the first, I guess, step that I had to go through was wearing an eye patch over my dominant eye, um, which is for a, you know, five or six-year-old girl is a bit um, confronting, you know, even though you're – I remember having like a skin-coloured eye patch and, you know, I, I was quite – petite um so it's still it's still weird and uh it took me a long time to even sort of like share photos of me in that time because i i had a patch over my eye and um it's yeah it's just unusual and i guess while there's lots of great things about being in a country town it also means that things like that don't happen very often. Yes. So it's very unusual. Um, and it's not that people were like mean to me at school. Like I, I can't ever remember being particularly picked on because of it. But it was just like, oh, yeah, she's the one with the eye patch or she's just little comments that then. So you knew that you were different. Yeah. And that's it. It's just being different. Like at that age, it's you don't really know whether it's like a good thing or a bad thing, but it's just you're different to everyone else. Yeah, that's um, hard. Especially when you're trying at that age when you're sort of left your parents and like modelling your parents' behaviour and you're sort of starting to go into like needing that social acceptance from your peer groups. Yeah. That's yeah. pretty hard as well. Yeah, and that's like, it's your first really, like you're trying to find friends and, and things like that. So being different is... a I don't know whether you would say it was a struggle, but it's just different um, when you don't want to be at yep. that age. You don't want to be different. You just want to fit in. And how long did you have to have the iPads on for? Um, so it was year two, I believe, um, that I had surgery um, to fix it. So um, it was, yeah, from about five to nearly seven years old, I guess, I was wearing the eye patch. Um and yeah, and then I had surgery to fix the the muscles around the eye so that they they lined up um aesthetically in yep. like um it looks like my eyes are looking in the same direction. Um and then the hope is that that automatically your brain starts picking up the image from that eye. Um now, like 21 years down the track, it, my brain hasn't. Uh, so, I still, yeah, can't see 3D, um, can't look down binoculars or a microscope, like a dual lens microscope, um, because the image just doesn't work in my, in my head. Um, so, I have perfect eyesight um, in each eye, but my brain won't register it both images at the same time yeah um and if i get tired one eye gets tired before the other so then i straight away have a lazy eye again okay. but 
that's yeah cool. and i guess when when you were younger before you had that surgery and corrected it mm-hmm. do you understand or did you have an understanding of how it was impacting you in terms of how you perceived yourself did it diminish your confidence at all yeah i think it it i don't know whether you like at at that age it's confidence as much i just i didn't know where i was i didn't know um sort of what what my place was okay. um so i just floated a lot i guess um and i i remember having lots of groups of lots of great friends and i um i was quite sporty and i g- gave everything a go um but it's yeah i think it was just because you in the back of your mind you know that there's something different um or that you perceive as different so i'm sure lots of other kids had something different but in your own head you're like oh no i'm i'm different to what i can see everyone else is um and so it's it leads to you sort of isolating yourself i guess while you you feel like you need to find somewhere to fit in and and you can't or you think that you can't that's a hard position to be in as a kid because it's one thing to assume that you that you're different Mm -hmm. like maybe it's the color of your skin you think oh i'm different Mm. because i'm a little bit darker than someone else yeah whereas when you're being told by people externally you're being told that you are different i think that's a totally different beast to tangle with yeah and it's yeah i guess you know kids are great or like um in that they don't you know they they don't lie to you because they don't know how to lie yeah so it was it's never like malicious in in the way that they say anything but they don't lie so oh yeah that's the chick with the eye patch yeah every day you know (laughs) that's because they don't know any different so yeah and I guess when we usually we go from the story to recovery and then the lesson Mm -hmm. with you it wasn't until later in life I think you said beforehand that you actually started to reflect on this with the help of a psych Mm. yeah did you want to like talk us through yeah so um like why you went and what you got out of it yeah so I obviously um that was I guess the eye thing sort of um, finished at about seven. Um, and it wasn't until I was 21, I think, um, was the first time that I actually went and saw a psych. Um, and at that stage, it was for a whole heap of other, well, what I thought was other reasons. Yeah. Um, like uh, depression, anxiety, those sorts of things. And that's that's why you... I guess the tipping point is why you go and get help. Um, but then as you work through, uh, yeah, your story, you work backwards, you realize that little, little in, in the grand scheme of things, little things like that um, have a huge impact on the way that you see yourself growing up, which can lead to a, a whole array of, experiences and thought patterns um as you develop yeah well if you're 
over that space from five to seven, two years of every day continually embedding in your subconscious that you are different and that you can't find a place, you're more than likely going to carry that until you actually deal with it. Yeah. That's what you did. Yeah, that's it. Like it's, that's a, such a, they say that up to about seven, children are sponges, right? So they take everything in. So if every day that's what you're putting in, in your own head, then yeah, you've got to <laughs> get to a point where you're going to have to deal with that yeah. at some point. Yeah. So how did you, after like now going to see the psych, thinking it was for something else and then finally realizing, hold on, maybe there's something to do with this whole lazy eye and eye patch situation. Mm -hmm. What did you learn throughout that process about how that, that eye patch affected you or was there anything more to it? Um, it, it was, I think the main thing that I got out of it was that it was actually all in my head. It was all me. Like, um, yeah, you don't, children that age don't say things in a mean way on purpose. It was just the way that I was interpreting it and the story that I was telling myself around that um, that was, I guess, in essence, sort of doing the damage to my self-worth. It wasn't, yeah, it wasn't anyone doing anything to me. Yeah. It was me doing it to me which is yeah I guess the lesson in everything well in terms of like not not feeling like you fit and not having a place did you carry that like from looking back now do you feel like you carried that throughout I guess your adolescence and then to that point where you go to see the psych and like if so do you have any events or moments where you can like actually picture hold on maybe this is the reason why I went through what I went through yeah um I guess I guess from there it's like everything I did and I and I still I don't know whether it was specifically the eye patch or whether it was like that the thought pattern that was then ingrained in me because of that but it just led to constantly trying to find a place to fit in so it was always um wanting wanting to please everyone which is dangerous within itself yeah um not wanting to sort of um put put a foot out of line because you don't you don't want to stand out um if you're telling yourself that you're already different when you feel like you're in the box and you feel like you're fitting in um then you just want to stay there uh and that was probably my entire up up until yeah 20 like my entire teenage years of just like i just want to fit in i just want everyone to not notice me almost you know i just want to be one of them talking about the the eye patch and from like 5 to 20 when you go see the psych mm-hmm. um, I guess you're talking about never really fitting in but sort of moulding yourself to try your best to fit in without mm-hmm. anyone really like noticing you mm-hmm. per se if you were trying to do that trying to fit in without really being noticed do you ever felt like you could be yourself between 5 to 20 years old not 
not really. Like you, I think I was so um, focused on just fitting in and being, you know, what what society terms as right. Yeah. Um, I didn't even know who I was. So at that at that stage, it wasn't that I was consciously fighting against me. It was that I didn't even know who I was to be fighting against. Wow. So you just you just feel lost. You just um yeah, it it just doesn't feel like you fit. Yeah. Um it's not a yeah, I, well for me I wasn't fighting against something. I was just not sure what was happening. So so that's just all you were used to. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's really powerful. So. And I guess fast forwarding to now, do you have a good understanding of who you actually are? Yeah, I I do. I I feel I I guess my journey has led to um probably something that I would never have expected in that now I um I consider myself a bit, a bit more spiritual, and like my, everyone in my family thinks I'm like woo woo, you know, <laughs> like hippie. Um, but I, I feel at peace. I feel like I am able to quite quickly um, acknowledge things that don't gel with me, things that don't feel right, and I have the confidence and the self worth to put my foot down and make sure that. M- my journey or my path is the right way for me. So. That is so cool. <laughs> and that is so far out the box and it's amazing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's, so it's you've great. stopped trying to mold yourself to fit mm, yeah. what other people want. Yeah. And it, and it, it's uh, unusual and it, it's, um, it's a, still a weird feeling for me. And like I, I speak to uh, one of my friends who she's, she gets it a bit more and she's, She's just like you, you. Sound like you're floating, and and it is. It's it's almost surreal in that I know when whatever I'm doing feels right, and it just it flows perfectly. Um, and then the moment that something doesn't feel right, I instantly am aware of it and can yeah switch back. I step back, take time to get into my what I would refer to as my heart space yeah, um, and get out of my head back into my heart and then, yeah, reassess from there. So, and that's, it's great. That's super so. liberating. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it is. It's, and I, I wish that I could share it with everyone. I wish that everyone could feel like that because yeah. it's something, yeah, liberating and, and just beautiful to experience. Um, and I know that um, there's lots of people that, that don't even know that it's possible yeah. um, to feel like that. They just they just keep going on their life, which is everyone's got their own beautiful journey. So, And an important part of getting to that, that state of mind or that space in the first place is actually looking back and seeing what's tripped you up over time and what mm. habits, what negative habits mm. you've... Uh, programmed into your mind yeah <laughs> yes and let's not talk about the ridiculously long list of those <laughs> i'm pretty sure we all have them <laughs> yes that's right but acknowledging them and being like being at peace with those you know like it's okay that 
I thought this about myself, you know, and um, like forgiving myself for thinking that or for acting like that. Well, it's hard. Yeah, and it's but it's it's liberating. It is being like, hey, yeah, okay, that probably wasn't a smart move, but it's okay. I did that, and I'm moving forward. I'm better for it. So just being, yeah, thankful for everything, um, even the things that you never thought you'd be able to be grateful for is yeah, huge. That's super cool. It was a massive tangent, but I loved it. <laughs> <laughs> now, in terms of in terms of the psychologist, was there anything else valuable that you got out of working with them? And would you recommend that to someone who's going through some inner turmoil? Um, so I saw a few psychologists okay. um, in that um, my biggest um, advice to anyone who is looking at doing a psychologist or seeing a psychologist is always make sure you're doing it for you. Okay. So um, the first psych that I went and saw it was essentially because I was having issues in my relationship and he was like, go and go and see someone. You've got to work through this stuff. Okay. So I, I believe I didn't go for me. I went because he was telling me to, yeah. because I wanted to make him happy. Which is odd to tell, tell one part of the relationship to go. Yeah. And it was like, and I knew, you know, I, I knew why it was, he had recognized that I needed to work through stuff that had happened in my life. So it was something that I had to do. But at that point in my story, in my journey, I wasn't going for me. So I was never going to get out of it what was intended. Um, okay. Cause you essentially it, it's, going and talking to someone but you can still tell them whatever story you want exactly so if you're not going for the right reasons if you're not going um and are are willing to open up and acknowledge that you're gonna have to go through a lot like it's probably gonna hurt it's probably going to be hard and you're going to have to admit and and face some things that you don't want to there's really no point going um if you're not at that place there's no point. You're not going to get anything out of it and you're going to be one of the people that says, no, psychs are no good. Um, you, you really have to. Like the next time that I went and saw a different psych at that time, but it was me. I wanted to work through stuff and I had recognized that this was probably the the action that I needed to take. Yeah. Um, and you, I got so much more out of it. It, it, it was me wanting to go for me. Exactly. And, and so that, yeah. And that's really powerful. It's an important message too because until you're actually ready to face what you're going through, it's not going to happen. No. No one can yeah. force you. It's like if you're upset and someone says, tell me why you're crying and you like genuinely don't know because you haven't taken time to like internalize it and be introspective. Yeah. Then you're not going to be able to tell them. So it's not going to work with a psych either. Yeah. It, yeah. It's exactly the same. It's It's not... Yeah, it's not going to work if you're not at that point. And yeah, I truly, I truly believe that people will do it in their own time. People yeah. will come to it, but you can't force them to. You can't 
force them to acknowledge anything or to look at themselves a certain way. Um, they have to be ready for it. Yeah, I think if you are in the position where you think someone might need help like that, then you just need to, I guess, give them the information that someone like that can help or provide mm -hmm. them a book, something to read, and then just let them do it in their own time. Yeah, I think um, with lots of my work since, he since I guess, that point in my journey, I, it's really evident that you just need to sort of hold space. You just need to be there for people. Yes, you can talk to me when you need to. Yes, like this is available. There's no judgment either way, but I'm here if you need it. But the more people try and force and unfortunately or I guess human nature um, tends to mean that people that love you most try and force you most to do these sorts of things and yeah. it it leads to yeah. not nice relationships or you know and fights think, that are unnecessary <laughs> I think a lot of the time too or maybe half the time people that love you most would still be pushing you in that direction out of selfishness because mm -hmm. of like insecurity yep. wanting everything to be good mm -hmm. and if something's not good with you in the relationship maybe that means there's something wrong with me so please go get it sorted out yeah 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 and I'm a firm believer in if you overcome someone else's challenges for them like you're robbing them of the opportunity to learn and grow from the lesson yeah definitely and and everyone's got their own lessons that they have to learn like you can't do it for them yeah you can't do it for them and the other thing I guess that that comes up in that is the fear of other people like people want you to go and get help because they're scared of what's going to happen if you don't yeah. um, or they're scared that they're not going to be able to handle it if something happens to you um, so they so it's just the fear of the unknown and all all they know is go and get, go and get help you know go and talk to someone go do this um, but that's really just their own sort of fear and insecurities coming yeah. into it. I guess uh, we can move on to the second story, mm -hmm. which is a little heavier. Yes. But it's yep. something that you've learnt from as well and something that, like I said at the start, will resonate with most people anyway mm. um, with the lessons you've learnt. Did you want to talk us through that one? Yeah, for sure. Um, so I guess I... I would break it down into two parts in that um, when I was younger, about nine, um, I was sexually assaulted by a female um, who was only a couple of years older than me. Um, at the time, you, as a nine-year-old, you don't quite understand it. You don't, you know, you go back to the, the feeling at the moment and you know it's probably not right. Um but you, you've been told that you're just playing a game under the bed um, and, and you don't know any different. Like at, at that stage, I don't know if it was because I had a beautiful sheltered childhood or but I didn't understand it. I didn't know what that was. Um, and it wasn't until I grew up and I started applying the meanings to what actually happened um, and so that was probably, I, I refer to that as like my first, I guess, moment of impact. That yep. is what I call them. Um, and and then when I was 17, I, I was raped, which 
just reinforced the um the same i guess feelings of of nothing nothingness like you just worth jack shit really i don't yeah. know if i'm allowed to swear on here yeah but <laughs> <laughs> you can go for <laughs> yeah um but it just sort of reinforced it but now i, I look at it as something completely different so yeah, yeah. um i guess with both of those stories there's a probably something most people won't have to go through but I hope they don't. Yeah. <laughs> I really hope they don't. Yeah, but like um, like I said at the start, I resonate with you with the first bit because I went through something similar, mm-hmm. but I didn't really understand it at all. Like mm-hmm. I didn't understand how it would affect me until later on in life when mm. I could look back and think, why the hell am I acting this way? Why am I doing this? Mm. And then it comes back to something that you have no idea could have that sort of like far-reaching impact mm. like what you had with your eye patch mm. but did you have something similar as a result of the the first one yeah I think I um I almost went into like shut down yeah. if, if that makes sense um in that once I started realizing what it like what meanings could be applied to it um you know you you hit puberty and everyone's like the whole thing is about like sexuality and and like what what's going on with your body and at that stage I I wasn't even like aware of the meanings that could be applied to what had happened Okay. And then as you get to like, 12, 13 and you start hearing all these different things, like you, school, you know, media, everything, it all has um, like a, a connotation, I guess, or without even you realizing it or without even them doing it intentionally, it's like, okay, so you were, you know, you were sexually assaulted by a female does that mean that you're gay? Like, and as a 12 or 13 year old girl, you've got no idea. Like, it's really confusing. Yeah. And, and it's like, well, maybe, maybe that, that is what's happening. Maybe that's, and then, oh, but I actually really like this boy, you know? And it's as, uh, someone who was already questioning where she fitted, um, the more that I, um, the me- more meaning that I applied to it, it just meant I became even more lost with who I actually was. Um, and, and it just, yeah, I guess led to, um, shut down and even more trying to just act like I fitted in, you know, wow. just more, more and more <laughs> wanting to fit in. It's a hard space to be in, to to feel different, but to also, with the eye patch, but to also have this happen and now you're confused about your sexuality. Mm-hmm. That's a lot to deal with at that age. Did yeah. you Did you realize how it was affecting you then? No, no. Yeah, I, and you don't, 
I don't, well, I definitely didn't. I, I didn't have any, um, any background knowledge about how your, your thoughts even affect your feelings or, um, I guess we, we were sort of brought up Roman Catholic, right? So, you know, the answer is can go to church and, and that, that works for some people and that's amazing. Um, but I, I couldn't find my answers there. Like I couldn't, I couldn't find them at school. I couldn't, you can't really, um, talk to your friends about it. Yeah, of course. Like by the time you realize the, the meanings that you're applying to it, you've already got so much shame around it. Um, just from the stories that you're telling inside your head, um, that you don't, you don't want to tell anyone. You don't want to, you don't feel like you can share at all. Um, because it's such a, yeah, the, the meaning that you have applied holds so much shame that it, that it's paralyzing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think what, what I remember of my situation is sometimes I'd be in bed or I'd be doing something and I'd close my eyes and then I'd see like him Mm -hmm. and I'd just think, man, like, am I gay or am I straight? Do I like Mm -hmm. girls? Do I like guys? I'm not quite sure. And then I'd get into this like spiral of hating myself because that happened. Did -hmm. you have anything similar? Like you experienced confusion and shame, but. I, I don't know whether I, um, I don't know whether I like, hated myself at that stage. I don't know whether I, and I, I don't remember having huge flashbacks around it. Um, there's definitely triggers in life that have come up since, um, things like, I think I was mentioning to you before putting your hand over my mouth if anyone does that to me then it's a trigger you know it's that generates a flashback that generates a huge amount of anxiety okay is that what happened yeah yeah so um those but that's really the only one that i and i can't remember having um i guess flashbacks or recognition just doing everyday things it was more when I then tried to step out of the box or find who I was or tried to fit in where I started questioning everything um that yeah so I guess that's that's sorry I'm going to keep relating this back to my situation but I haven't haven't up until this point really met anyone who's been through something similar so Mm um up until the, the second time you'd encountered mm-hmm. sexual assault, had you tried to then prove to yourself that you weren't you weren't gay or that you were worthy? No, oh, uh, not in a sexual way. Okay, okay so um, when I was younger, it was obviously like it was a female, and I don't know how graphic you want to get, but That's it was right. just just fingers. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I had then not, you know, I had been through stages of, um, you know, not eating. I, I was a tall, skinny kid. I had 
constantly wanted to have a boyfriend but was never the right person to have a boyfriend with. You know, I was the floater at school. Um, So I had lots of friends, but I didn't fit into a group. You know, I went from one group to the next at lunchtime. Um, And I hadn't, yeah, I, I hadn't tried any form of sexual validation. Okay. Um, but that definitely changed after the second time. So um, the the rape when I was 17 was, I guess, pushed me towards the sexual side okay. of the self-worth stuff. Yeah. Um, before that, it was – I worked my ass off at school. So I was like, I was good at school. I was good at sports. I, I put all my energy into being good at lots of stuff. Um, and then, yeah, when I was 17, it became, you, you're not at school anymore. So you, you don't get merit awards um, in life after that. And, and that was when I really turned to looking for the sexual sort of validation and, um, yeah, certainty that, no, this was, this is what I wanted, I guess. Okay. And, like, I know you shared a a document with me, like, Mm -hmm. what you'd written about your story. Are you comfortable sharing what the story was at all? Oh, yeah. Um, So, I was just at a friend's house um, and... It was the first time I'd ever touched alcohol. Really? Yeah. So, and I'd only had one and it took me about five hours to get through it. Oh my and God. I remember everyone teasing me like it was a cruiser or like, you know, that's, that's what it was <laughs> <laughs> at that stage. That's what everyone drank apparently. Um, and I'd had one and it had taken me all afternoon to get through it. So I wasn't drunk or I wasn't like I hadn't had a huge night I and I was at a friend's house and I just went into the spare room to go to sleep um, and I remember waking up and this this guy being there I still to this day don't know his name I can't like I can't remember his name um, I'm sure during the day I had called him something <laughs> I, I know that he had been there um, but I don't know what his name was um and yeah and he was on top of me I know that um there's parts of it that I have blanked out I remember saying no and pushing away quite a bit um and I the the most vivid memory I have is my head smacking against the wall constantly um and that that's still you know, um, yeah, e- ever since then, it doesn't matter what situation I've been in. So after that event, uh, I did um, lots of things that I attached a lot of shame to, which included sleeping with a lot of people that I was not in a relationship with or I, I don't even know <laughs> what it was. Um, but even after that, when I was in a relationship, um, anything, if I was making out with someone, um, if the top of my head got hit, I was instant anxiety attack, instant crying and a mess. That's the, like, 
the most vivid thing that I remember and I don't know if that will ever go away so yeah it's it's helpful though that you're aware of it now yeah and I think that's part of the journey right like being able to recognize things um and being able to make sure that if something like that does happen that I know why because then it's so much easier to bring yourself back and convince yourself that you're okay, that you are worthy, that this isn't happening again. If you know why you're reacting like that, then it makes it all easier. Did you you ever tell anyone about that up until the point where you decide to to deal with it? I think you said you went to a psychologist. Yeah, so so not until... um, I guess like after that, I I had two or three years of, um, you know, <laughs> partying, sleeping with lots of people, working. I, but I didn't feel, I didn't feel anything. I didn't. In ha- terms of like uh, emotions for people. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I completely shut down. I went through life and I was happy and I was joyful. I had a lot of fun, <laughs> um, and, but I don't think I made any real connections. I didn't, and I definitely didn't know who I was uh, at that stage. That was a very lost period of my life. And uh, then I met Dan, who is, um, well, he was my partner for five years. Um, and he's still a great friend of mine, but it wasn't until I was with him and we'd been together for about, um, it was probably about a year, maybe 18 months where that was the first time that I allowed myself to feel anything again. So that's a long time to go in a relationship. Yeah, and that's without feeling. Yeah, and that's uh, like I lots of things in our relationship um didn't go well and like it, it's been over for about 3 years now. Um but I still credit him with being the person who taught me how to feel again. And that's awesome. Yeah, he he made it safe for me to feel. Um and yeah, and, and that was huge for me. And that was when I then sort of went and got help. Because so, so with um, not wanting to have this connection, taking that long to really connect with mm. your partner at the time, were you, were you scared to open yourself up to someone or did you not feel worthy of having someone's affection? I think it was a bit of both in that um, he... <laughs> It's funny in that I met him through the gym that I was working at and um, he was, all the girls were always like, oh yeah, he's, you know, um, that show, Grey's Anatomy, how there was like a Dr. McDreamy. Yeah. Yeah. So he was studying medicine at the time and all the girls would be like, oh yeah, McDreamy's in again. So he was like this, you know, on a pedestal. <laughs> he yeah. was. So I think for about, at least about six months, I still wasn't convinced that we were in a relationship. Like in my head, I he would never want to be with me. Oh, okay. Like he, there's no way. 
Um, and I remember probably about a month in, one of his friends, I was talking to him on the phone and he was like, yeah, so it was like, you and Dan. And I was like, oh, what? Are we actually? He's like, yes, you're in a relationship. You guys really like each other. And I was like, oh, okay. Like, <laughs> it was just, I was so disconnected yeah. that it it didn't even register. Like, it wasn't, it wasn't even like it was possible. Um, and at that, at that stage, I was actually living over east. Um, so the first uh, sort of 10 months of our relationship was long distance. And he was here in Perth and I was in Melbourne, um, which probably it had its positives and negatives in that I probably didn't have to f- confront it myself about the relationship as early as you ordinarily would um, because we were on opposite sides of the country. Um, But it also meant that I, you know, I, I wasn't, it's not that I wasn't nice to him, but I just didn't know how to be in a relationship. I didn't know what it was. So I'd be like, oh yeah, I was talking to this guy at the gym today and he'd be like, whoa, whoa, like, no, like, why, why are you sa- telling me this? Why are you talking about this? Like, it, it was kind of a um, huge learning curve for me. Yeah. Um, and I guess he's, he's 15 years older than I am. Okay. So he was in his life. He was at a very different place. And I was, I was just still lost and, you know, had no idea what was going on. <laughs> and he was probably the most patient person. I don't know anyone else who would have put up with me for that that, yeah. and stuck around. Um, but then I made the decision to move back to Perth. Um, and it, w- it was then that, you know, everything sort of, you have to, you have to confront yourself then. Yeah. You have to, you can't hide. Um, we moved in together and it, you know, you live with someone and you you can't just escape and go back into your little bubble because um, that's not it's not fair on your partner either exactly it's, yeah it's you you have to do the hard work and and I was resistant to it like as I as I said before um, the first psych was simply because Dan said that it would help and I wanted at that stage, I wanted him around no matter what because he was the reason I was feeling again. You know, he was... So he sort of gave you like that self-worth back. Yeah. And and it turned into not a great self-worth in that it was very reliant on him. Um, so I moved back to Perth but didn't connect with most of the friends that I had before I left or like, and even just the other day. So I've been back for uh, six years and about three weeks ago, I, I got a message from someone who thought I was still living in Melbourne Wow! in that. And that was someone that I used to see at the gym every day. And, but I came back and my entire world, apart from going to work, it was around Dan in like I needed him to feel safe to feel um, 
so I didn't want to do anything to to jeopardize that yeah and that's hard too especially when you're going through this learning curve like you said when you've just moved in things might be a little bit rocky he wants you to go to a psychologist Mm -hmm. if your validation for your own self-worth is wrapped up in one person Mm. like you're not going to want to give that up no (laughs) not at all no and i've i like and you're gonna and you're gonna like mold your begin to mold yourself into someone that they want yeah and i think um i think that i didn't recognize it at the time you know you never you never do like no this is exactly what i want yeah (laughs) and your family and everyone's going, nah. <laughs> You're like, yeah, no, this is what I want. Um, and so I didn't recognize it at the time, but we both admit it now that, that that's what, what was happening in that Beth wasn't finding herself. Beth was finding her feet. Um, and, but using Dan as a leaning pole, you know. Um, and that's, I, I guess... It it just wasn't meant to be, you know. Yeah. It it was an, just meant to be a lesson for you. It was an amazing lesson and something that I I don't think I would have got to where I am without that. In that I needed that step, you know, from no feeling. At least then I was feeling again. Exactly. Um, and and that that meant that after when the relationship did break down, um, it was about we'd been together for about five years. And I, during that time, I had seen a number of psychs and I, you know, um, I started working through things, definitely hadn't worked through everything, um, but I had started. And so I was hyper aware of my shutdown period. So after the, the after I was right, yeah. So I, the point that I'd got to then, I guess with, with my psych treatment was that I recognized that that was a shutdown period and I'd recognized that I had a heap of shame around what I did in that, in that period, Yeah. but I hadn't accepted it. Okay. So when Dan and I split, I was so convinced that I wasn't allowed to go into shutdown. So I had to feel everything like I and I was like determined to not go back to to shut down no emotion Beth because I didn't want to do those things that I now attached shame to that's brave it to was feel. it was stupid <laughs> <feel> it, like, <laughs> it was it was crazy in that like I I hit depression again anxiety was at an all-time high, I, um, in the middle of the street, I would have an anxiety attack. Wow. I, um, I had a day that, um, and uh, this is again something that lots of people don't agree with. But Dan and I decided that we were going to be friends. We'd been friends before we were together, so we were going to make it work. After, it meant that it was really messy. Um, but it also meant that on the day where I was unable to breathe on the floor, having an anxiety attack and I physically lost control of my bowels and everything wow. that I, I could call him. Um, so he was also the one that was there 
for that um, and that I guess support in that I, I wasn't ready to uh, well I wasn't at a stage where I had enough self-worth to stand on my own um, so that I guess helped me through that a little bit um, in saying that I ended up on antidepressants and mm-hmm. that sort of thing it's <laughs> amazing though that he was I guess respectful enough of you mm-hmm. and valued you enough even though you had split that he could be there for you for that sort of stuff because mm. I know most most guys in that sort of position would just run yeah and <laughs> I'm surprised that he didn't a lot um and that sounds like a lot to deal with oh it, it would have been um yeah I can't even imagine what he was going through um and I know that sort of like after we split he went on his own sort of and now we are traveling completely different journeys. Um, he's one of the ones that will tease me about being hippie and, and that sort of thing. Um, but we still do have that, that mutual respect That's in cool. that, yeah, that we've been through that and, and we got through it. And now we're, yeah, we're our own people, which is amazing. Cool. And so how did, I guess going back to the psych in terms of how they helped you with um, what happened at 17 mm-hmm. how did like looking back at what you went through then and then what you went through with the psych do you have a better understanding of how they actually helped you through that period or helped you process it um I I credit the psych with if they did it all sorry yeah no I credit the psych with um my awareness of how it would have affected me. Um, I personally, I didn't get a lot of closure or, um, a lot of, I guess, um, so you didn't overcome it by going through the site. No, no. So they brought you to the awareness and then obviously like with Dan, Mm -hmm. you'd, regain a sense of self-worth which was missing because of mm-hmm. that incident at 17 now having this awareness what did you go through yourself <laughs> to actually <laughs> come to terms with the fact that maybe that that you could get over that yeah that story um <laughs> uh i went through the most epic roller coaster in the entire world. <laughs> um, is, that, is the only way to put it. Um, I went through, uh, I guess, obviously anxiety. Um, I had bouts of depression that I scared myself in that I, I went through probably about six months after Dan and I split where... I wouldn't drive along the freeway by myself in my car because I would get to Mount Henry Bridge and I wanted to drive off the edge. So I would always make sure that I had my dog or someone else in the car. Like I I just didn't because I, I didn't want to do that. Yeah. But I was at such I was at a place where I knew that I well, I didn't know if I was strong enough to resist the urge if I was by myself. Um, 
So, yeah, I I went through that. I um, and I, again, it was my stubbornness to to feel everything. In that, I need I needed to feel that, and I needed to. Uh, I'd been working in the health and fitness industry, so I knew that if I got back into my routines, if I was eating healthy, if I was exercising, then I would be able to pull myself out. Yeah. Um, and so I was just stubborn. <laughs> I was so stubborn. Um, and But it nearly cost me everything, nearly cost me my life. Um, and then I, I got to a point where I um, decided that I should go to the doctor. I just wanted to feel baseline normal. Yeah. I wanted to not be stupid high and I wanted to not want to die, you know, like, um, and so I just wanted to feel baseline normal so that I could try and get routines back. So I could try and do things that I enjoyed. Yeah. Um, because as much as it, as it is important to let yourself feel that sort of emotion mm-hmm. so that we have like a reference point to gauge like what um, ecstasy feels like mm-hmm. and what the midpoint is in terms of emotion. It's if you allow yourself to experience that sort of low vibration for too long, it's going to become habit. Yeah. And that's, and like it's, if you, if you looked at sort of, my life pattern during that time I was coping in that I was going to work but I was a casual so I was doing random hours in a gym and I would go in it wasn't necessarily fulfilling work it was just stuff that I could do um and I'm I think I went through a, a period of 12 months where I moved house eight times (laughs) <laughs> and that was that was just what I did I, and I was like oh I'm just finding my feet when really it was like Beth had no emotional control <laughs> like Beth, I yeah had no idea what was going on okay. um and so you go see the doctor and what happens next uh so I went on to antidepressants um and I was given um what they call diazepam to help me sort of sleep as well if I needed it. Yeah. Um, and I, yeah, I started taking that always in my head being like, this is temporary. I need to like, this is just so that I can get my routines back. This is just so I can get my life back. Yeah. Um, again, stubborn, (laughs) 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 but I did that. Um, and then a whole heap of things just worked you know, um, I I think well, I believe that once you sort of start changing your vibration, then that things around you change as well to meet, right? So, I was trying to get back into my normal or perceived normal life. I was trying to be healthy again. Um, I started doing some work with a um, animal rescue. So I was, because I've always loved animals and dogs, right? So I did that and it like just volunteering, but it was just giving me something to do, giving me something that I loved. Um, 
And yeah. if you feel like you're providing value, that's like you're getting your validation and your self-worth. Yeah. Helping. Yeah, that's it. It's like little puppies, they need you. <laughs> like, and they, they're always going to be wagging their tails. That's it. They're always happy to see you. <laughs> um, so I did things like that. Um, and then it just happened that at, at this point, um, I, well, the universe gifted me with um, what I, who I call now my, my angel in that um, a friend of mine who, she was a mutual friend of mine and Dan's, she had a baby and she just, she needed someone to look after her a couple of hours a day um, to, while she was studying. And I, I was still casual all over the place work. So um, as a PT, normally in the middle of the day, you don't have a lot to do. Yeah. Um, so I was like, yeah, I can, I can do that. I, I'm sure that I can. She's like eight months old or something she was at the time. Um, and she gave me an appreciation for life that as much as I had amazing friends and amazing family, I would never have got from them. Um, I I distinctly remember a day, she, this was probably three months after I'd, I'd started looking after her, um, and there was like a avocado plant that they were growing on the floor. Avocado plants don't have a scent. They don't, it was literally just like a stick with a couple of leaves on the top. Yeah. Um, but every morning she would go over and she would sniff it like it was <laughs> the most beautiful plant in the world. And that like simple, like gratitude for life, appreciation for something really so simple that we would just walk past every day, um, just opened my eyes to all these amazing things that I would otherwise have, have not even recognized or applied any form of gratitude to. Um, so then I started, I started finding adventures for her to do when it really was me. It was, yeah. We would always go to a different park because it would be a different swing or a different slide. Um, oh, of course she wants to go to the zoo today. Yeah, right. It was Beth that wanted to go to the zoo. <laughs> but, you know, that those sorts of things that then got me enjoying just everyday life, you know, going for a baby chino has never been more fun. <laughs> like, yeah, I can second that. Yeah, <laughs> and it just she she became my my reason for getting up. In that, that's super cool. Yeah, something else to live for outside yeah. of yourself. Yeah, and just opens your eyes to the simple things. Like children have an amazing way of appreciating something really small or finding joy yeah. in something that, yeah, we don't even recognize. Yeah. So if if you just watch them, then the the appreciation, the gratitude for what you've got, yeah, is amazing. That's really cool. I have the same thing with my daughter every time she sees like a little rainbow from a prism or something like that yep. she'll shout out it's a rainbow and stamp her little feet because <laughs> <laughs> she's so happy when she sees an animal she'll do the same she'll just stamp her feet and squeal yeah and that's the coolest thing <laughs> it is isn't it? it's something that we as we grow up sadly i think we lose that and then 
you know, that's been a lot of my journey, I guess, over the last sort of 18 months is going back to that appreciation, going back to that gratitude that you have when everything is new and everything is amazing and awesome. Um, you you get so stuck in everyday life of like, oh, you got to pay the bills. You've got to, like, you've got to go and get fuel. You've got to go to the grocery store instead of being like, hey, I've got a car and I get to go and put fuel in it. I can go to the grocery store. I do have money to buy stuff and I can buy whatever the hell I want. Yeah. Like <laughs> that, that sort of thing, just changing the perspective is, yeah, has been huge in my journey. That's um, so cool. Yeah. I had a moment like that the other night where I was just driving and there was like a sunset driving down Stock Road. Mm-hmm. Had my arm out the window and I was like warm. I was just like, oh man, this is real nice light. Yeah. And just like focusing on feeling the heat on my skin. I was just like, God damn it. <laughs> I'm so grateful I actually get to feel this. Yeah. Like feel the wind on my skin while I'm driving. Yeah. it's And I that awareness and being able to appreciate those moments is so good for your mindset. It's so um, like freeing and it's just like I get to be here and I get to experience all these amazing things. Um, and, and it does sounds cliche but it does change your life yeah like and the more you the more you allow yourself to step into Mm. being grateful the more prevalent it'll become Mm. in terms of like a thought process yeah that's it the more you practice it it's just repetition that's it (laughs) (laughs) and it's 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 the circle of life because like it it started because of the repetition of the i don't fit in i don't fit in i don't fit in and now it's the I guess, retraining of, no, this is amazing. I'm so grateful for this. I'm so grateful for this. Um, and do you have a practice for gratefulness at all, gratitude? Yeah. So I'll, I I have daily gratitudes that I do. Cool. Um, I meditate um, and I have a list of I am statements um, that nice. I do every day. So it's, you know, everyone has something a little bit different, but um. Yeah, mine are, yeah, they center me at the start of every day and uh, makes, yeah, makes a world of difference. That's super cool. <laughs> yeah, and yeah, just appreciating the moments that you do get to just sit, Yeah, I guess, is cool. huge. So, I guess with the, the eye patch story mm-hmm. and both encounters you had with the sexual assault, mm-hmm. they weren't issues or traumatic events that you sort of worked out over the space of a couple of years that mm. sort of s- still things that you're working through at the moment is that right or do you feel like you've worked through those in their entirety um I, apart I, from the triggers obviously yeah I don't believe they'll ever go away yeah um but I have got to a point where I have forgiven myself for everything that I did. I I don't think I ever was at a point where I was really angry or really blamed the other people in situa- in the situations. Yeah. For me it was always myself and the blame and the guilt and the shame that I put on myself and that was the biggest thing that I had to overcome. And 
I, I still have moments of like doubt or, or something where I, I pull myself up and I go, hold on, <laughs> like is really, are you going to go back there again? Like get out of that thought pattern. Yeah. Um, but I, I'm at a place now where those, those moments, those moments of impact aren't something that I think about, aren't something that play on my mind or, or anything like that. I'm completely at peace with them. Um, and I'm so grateful for the lessons that I learned because of that um, and grateful for them, for, for those moments of impact. Um, yeah, one of, one of my great friends, he, he always says they happen for you. And I truly believe that. I truly believe that all, all these little things um, happened for me so that I could be here and, and where I am and I could find peace at the end. That's really cool. Mm. And how do you, or what do you think's helped you most in getting to a point where, getting from a point where you shut down because of something like that and then you go on this rampage, <laughs> a sexual rampage. Mm. How do you go from the point where you shut down and you start going having sex, I guess, with no intention of connection to a point now where you're completely at peace with what's happened. Ah, jeez. A lot of looking back, a lot of acknowledging everything. Um, It's not something that you can uh, just sort of sweep under the carpet. And Which I, most people do. Yeah, and I think that was probably my one of the toughest lessons in that it's not going to go away. Um, the the lump under the carpet just gets bigger and harder to go around. Um, so really going back and working through it. Um, I was fortunate enough to um, just, I guess, fall into a job at Happiness Co, which teaches you how to do that. Um <laughs> That's so cool. Yeah. <laughs> so by default, I was around um, those sort of skills and those tools every day and um, just started applying them to my own life um, and acknowledging what had happened um, and what was happening on a daily basis. So um, I got to a point where I, I came off my medication and um, – I, I was scared that I wouldn't be able to control it, but then trusting myself and trusting the tools enough to know that if I was in a situation where I did feel anxious, um, I would I would know what to do and I would know how to bring myself back. Um, and that's, yeah, I guess really going back and going through it all like you can't yeah you can't avoid it you have to go through it to be able to move forward um and it sucks <laughs> like it's not an enjoyable process um but now i i crave connection and i crave growth um and like real connection that's really cool so that's yeah that's an amazing evolution to go from what you encountered at 17 feeling no love and then finally 
allowing yourself to feel that with Dan, being reliant with him and then going through that spiral when you break up to being reliant on the medication and then finally like really freeing yourself yeah. and allowing yourself to grow and become who you are now. It's awesome. It's nice to see. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's like it's, sometimes I'm still pinching myself, you know, like how did you get here? Like, and I, I blame it. Well, I don't blame it. I, I refer to other things, you know, like I, I have essential oils that cool. like, you know, I've got this and so I'll be okay. Um, I've got, I've, I got gratitude. So I'll be okay. You know, you still sort of, I find myself being like, no, this is why I'm okay. But really it, it's just me. Um, and, and that's why I'm okay. It's because all these little bits, all these things that happened for me, all these things that I've learned, I've taken them all on. And um, that's cool. And because yeah. you've given yourself the space to actually yeah. acknowledge what you've been through. Yeah, and acknowledge and and forgive. I guess I I applied so much um, shame is always the thing that I go back to in in the thing that crippled me the most was the shame that I applied to everything that I did um, and once you sort of let go of that and retell the story in your own head that no you did that and that's okay but I forgive me for doing that yeah um, and so then the shame goes away and you you feel free <laughs> which <beautiful>. is great <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. before we like wrap up that story mm-hmm. Two questions I have to ask. Mm-hmm. And when was the first time you ended up telling someone about either of those? Mm-hmm. And what were the barriers to actually getting to that point? Um, so the first time I spoke about uh, the rape was to Dan. Um, so that was at about 21, 20, yeah, it would have been about 21. Um, and that was just, I, I had been doing some reading and I, I knew that there was a reason why I didn't feel, um, worth, I guess I didn't feel any self-worth Yeah. and I knew there was a reason and that was, you know, I, in your, um, selective siphoning, I guess, back of through your life. That was the thing that I was like, you know, that's, that must be what it is. You know, that, that was a huge impact moment. Um, that, that has to be the reason. Uh, and I didn't look any further than that. Okay. Um, and, and so he was the first person that I told about it. And then um, the assault when I was younger wasn't until, it was probably about a year later and I was oh. at a psych. Um and she just, you know, as psychs are really good at doing, she just kept prodding. Like, no, like further back. Come on. you. I know that you've got to do it. You've got to look at this. Keep going further back. What? Um, and that was the first time. And then I remember going home to Dan after that and being like, wow. Like, I got to this today. And she made me say it out loud. And and that was probably a big a big thing for me, yeah. in that y- you have all this stuff that you 
you have in your head and you apply meanings to and you ha- it, it's not until you actually say it out loud that then you can even look at sort of healing it accepting it yeah but yeah okay so. well were there any barriers for you apart from the shame it was shame it, like it, that was the biggest yeah biggest thing for any anything that I'd done in my in my life was the shame that I'd attached to it um once once I'd broken that down once I I guess disconnected the shame to anything that had happened or anything that I had done yeah um the you know the acceptance and forgiveness came fairly easily after that um it's still like it's something that I don't it it's not a great topic it's not something that's quite often easy to talk about people especially with people that that you love or that care for you yeah um because because you want to look after them like I know that I'm completely at peace with it but I know that there's people in my family and things like that that probably aren't at the same place and I just have to respect that as well exactly that this is my journey and and I'm at this place now um and everyone's everyone's not going to be like that um and that's okay yeah but you're at a point now where you're comfortable sharing it Mm. and I'm grateful that you are because you have a story that is powerful that people will resonate with Mm. that will I guess empower and encourage people to share their own stories like you said beforehand with people coming up to you and actually sharing with you yeah and that's and that's huge for me in that um I never even as I was working through everything I, I never really saw the point of of my story um, but as you do share it and as you do tell people, it just giving them, I guess, the empowerment to acknowledge what they've been through, um, is, is huge. And it's beautiful to see that, that happen around you. That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I guess a few questions before we wrap mm-hmm. up entirely. What have you added to your life or removed from it that has improved the quality of it? Um, I have removed um, a lot of self-judgment or expectation. So I, I'm huge now on making sure or, or trying to not attach expectation to things. Um, I think that it um, it boxes you in a lot. Um, once you've got what's once you've got it in your head that something has to happen a certain way, yeah. Um, it it can be quite restricting, and I think it puts shutters up, so you miss the amazing things in your peripheral. Um, and things that I've added to my life of just uh, gratitude, like gratitude for everything and every single person that comes into my life um and changing where i am like in terms of environment or environment and and people and like everything if if it doesn't feel right um i guess trusting the that feeling so being really intuitive yeah and trusting that like i i think 
people people have that it's tuning into it and allowing i guess the blind trust in in that that you know um where where's going to be best for you yeah. what's going to be best and i think intuition is like a muscle the more you tap into it and the more you trust it and use it like mm. it's like doing a rep every time you tap in yeah and it's going to get stronger and stronger until one point is at a point where you are where you can like trust it entirely mm. and know that the direction you go with it is the right one yeah and like it, looking at my life i literally a month and a bit ago left happiness co and was probably the toughest decision I've ever made. Like having to tell one of your best friends in the world you don't want to work with him anymore and not having anywhere else to go. Like it's not like I was leaving for a job that was going to pay me a million dollars. I didn't have another job. But I felt so – I just felt so much that I needed to leave and I needed to do something else. Yeah. Um, and so I did it. And it was scary as hell. <laughs> like it's, and some days I'm still like, what the hell? But that feeling's still there. And that peace that I know I'm doing the right thing is still there. That's so, awesome. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty <laughs> out of this world. But it's there and, and I trust it completely. That's so, cool. So yeah. Um, I guess with everything you've been through so far, how do you see yourself helping others? Just showing that it that it's all okay um that everything that you go through and um your reaction to that i think most people have a at least superficial understanding of if something if there's something that they feel happened to them like an assault or or something like that most people are like that's okay they can get to that point, but then being okay with their reaction or being okay with what they did afterwards, mm -hmm. that was the biggest thing for me. I was, I was okay with what happened to a certain point. It was then working through all the other stuff that I, that I did afterwards um, that I, I needed to work through and just showing people that that that's okay and that's part of the process as well um that's but it's powerful. worth it yeah it's it worth is. it in the end <laughs> <laughs> that's super yeah. powerful and it's yeah. exciting to move into that sort of space yeah to help people with that because that's probably the biggest part of overcoming any sort of significant trauma or impact mm. yeah. yeah definitely <laughs> yeah and it's, it's like people don't I, I don't believe people talk about it as much people talk about the the trauma yeah a lot you know, but what happens after that? Because quite often trauma people don't talk about for years exactly. afterwards, and it's the the space in between that they need to also forgive themselves for. Yeah, yeah, it's cool. <laughs> I'm happy for you. <laughs> um, last one. Mm -hmm. If you had the chance to put a message on a billboard somewhere where you know it'd be seen all day and night, mm -hmm. what would that be? Oh, that's a tough one probably that there is no shame to 
anything that you do. So forgive yourself and move on. Yeah. Super cool. It's <laughs> <laughs> probably what I would write. Cool. With a big smiley face <laughs> yeah. and a love heart at the end. Emojis? <laughs> that, definitely emojis. It would be emojis with colours. <laughs> oh, cool. Okay. That's it. I just want to acknowledge you for actually coming here. Like, mm-hmm. I think, did I message you yesterday to do this? Yeah, or the, or the day, day before. before. Yeah. yeah, something like that. Yeah, something like that. But yeah. thank you for actually coming over fairly quickly no to do this and sharing it. I know you, you haven't shared it too often, so mm-hmm. like I'm privileged to have yeah. you share it with me. Thank and you with for the, the people listening. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for the opportunity. Yeah. As as always, the universe perfectly aligned in <laughs> everything that happened. And yeah, now we're here. So cool. So, where should I get people if they feel compelled to to reach out to you? Facebook. Facebook. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'll put that in the show notes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Just Facebook. Awesome. Probably the best thing. Yeah. Thanks, buddy. No probs. Oh. Jeez. Oh, <laughs>